general nerdery. So we have been recording this podcast, Just General Nerdery, for almost 100 episodes now. When you add in our other podcasts, we got to be at least up to 150. Like, mm-hmm. And then you add in Art of Wargaming that I did for like a year, another 23. I'm getting close to 200 episodes of podcast recording at this point. And yet somehow, despite the fact that I have to do reading for all of them, I still somehow... The night before, I'm going, shit, 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 like fucking read through as fast as I can. I kind of had the same problem. I kept looking at the omnibus being like, it's not that big. And I love this book. 600 pages. It's the word. If the word omnibus is in what you're reading, and I am yelling at myself here, it sounds like I'm yelling at you. It's going to take more time than you're giving it credit for. Yes. (laughs) Welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And we're here to do, once again, one of the things we've been talking about since the very beginning, but kind of intimidated ourselves out of doing for like a year and a half. We're going to be talking Matt Wagner's Grendel. Uh, specifically about Hunter Rose. The om- really, we're going to be talking about the first Omnibus Dark Horse released of Grendel. Which... Right, because we're not going to talk about the couple shorts that happened before. And we're not going to... We'll, we'll mention them. And we're not going to talk any of the crossover stuff. Right. Yet. Um, yeah, we definitely have an episode planned for that. I do feel kind of bad being like, we're basically just discussing this book that is long out of print. And at one point, triple figures when you try to find a used copy. Uh, um, especially of the hardcover, because there was only like 500 made. Oh, God, you don't even think about it. I want it. Yes. Very badly. There's, <laughs> There's very few books that I'm like... No, I need the fanciest fucking version you can give me. But with Grendel, yes. Well, I mean, we're not talking about the crossovers today, but when I bought my Batman Grendel crossover, I lucked out by finding a copy that was only $40. Ooh, you see, I've just got... I, the, I picked mine up before I cared about Grendel, so mm. I had it from, like, the book exchange, and it was, like, 10 bucks and beat to hell, and I love it. But I've been buying everything hardcover that he's been print since. Mm. But that's not the part of the podcast we're doing. We just really like Grendel. Yeah. Oh. I, I say lucked out. I paid 40 for it when the next cheapest I could find was 80 Oh, yeah, buddy. Oh, yeah. At one point with this omnibus, I was like, I think my buddy just kept mine. It's been like two years. I'll just buy a new copy. He can keep it, obviously. Like, And it was like, $900. I'm like, you need to give this back to me, like, right now. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking immediately. We'll get to Grendel. We had other things first. But before that, yes, what have we been ingesting? What? Okay, I finally beat Elden Ring. Like, I mentioned that to you off-air the other That's day. That's right, we were talking were over... about other... I'm here a lot. I lose track of what we've said online. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I think between... The last time we recorded, and now I... Last time did I mention that I read all of Jason Aaron's Avengers? Or was that a completely different show? That was... Hmm. No, I think that was last time. Okay, good. There's a lot of crossover right now because we're reading a ton of Jason Aaron stuff for uh, New okay. Island. Go check out I, mm-hmm. that podcast if you want to learn about the Ghost Riders. We just finished up a four-fucking-parter on them. Right. I couldn't remember which show it was. So, yeah, if I already mentioned it, not a big deal. I finally beat Elden Ring. Yes. Got one of the endings. 
Um, is this with your Hellboy character? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got the Frenzied Flame ending, which is generally considered to be the worst. I wanted to start with that one so that all the others would kind of be yeah, better. <laughs> Work your way up. I kind of know very generals about all six endings, so I kind of have an order that I'm specifically doing three of them in. I remember having that with Fallout New Vegas and kind of figuring out like what I need to do to get the endings I want to see. Mm-hmm. While trying not to learn too much about the endings. Yeah, I I know some about all of them. And so there's three that I'm actually like super interested in seeing. The other three I'll probably get to, but it's not like what I'm angling for. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have started playing with another character. You can do New Game Plus, but I want to just do a different character because of how I personally experience RPGs. Well, and what you can do, I mean, just from what I've seen, what you can do with different characters is so wildly different. Well, it's also easy to respec, though. So I could oh, do okay. all of those same things on the same character. Oh, that's fair. See, I was just thinking of it being like, it's not like Spider-Man, where I prefer to play New Game Plus, because I got all the shit. Right, right. Uh, I am going to do at least one New Game Plus go through just because I have all the shit. Mm-hmm. I've already been like kind of planning, like, ooh, what, how am I going to have fun with this one? But um, And then, I don't know, like, there wasn't a ton else. Uh, I know we'll talk about it in a minute. Obi-Wan started, mm-hmm. so I've watched those episodes. I've only seen the first two, so we have to, we can't okay. get to the third one yet. Oh, okay. We've been trying. Getting three people in the same room at the same time. Oh, man, you look hurt. You look like... There was things that I was going to talk to you about with this. Okay. Because there were things that we were talking about before this season started. But we'll get there. You can spoil me a little bit when we come. Uh, um, but other than that, like, I I didn't think so. But the, the news cycle lately got to me more than I realized. And I realized that when I was found myself just... Two of a planned three movie jaunt into the Christopher Guest films, which have become some of my comfort films in the past like five years or so. So Christopher Guest, like uh, Best in Show, oh, okay. Waiting yeah. for Guffman, and uh, A Mighty Wind were the three in particular that I was going through, um, and have probably went through like ten or eleven times in the past five years, pretty easily. You know, it's been those kinds of years. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um, but I was just like, uh, I'd started to put on some Shit's Creek and I'm like, this is close, but not quite. Oh, okay. Yeah. I still want to see Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara just completely somewhere else. So let's do this. Anyway, uh, that was fun though. Cause I do fucking just love those movies. I've seen Best in Show. I've not seen the other two or if I have, it's been long enough that I, yeah. yeah so yeah. Best in Show is about the, the dog show. Mm-hmm. They're all the same style. Yeah, I assumed that kind of mockumentary. Yeah, and very improvised. They have starts and ends of like where the scene needs to start and <laughs> okay, where it needs to go. Okay, here's where you need to go. Have fun in the middle. Yeah. Otherwise, have fun with your character. God, that's stressful. I mean, I'm sure an actor who's into that loves it, but like just the thought of doing that. Uh, so, waiting for Guffman is a small town in Missouri is putting on a play for the town's like centennial and they accidentally end up thinking that a big time critic from New York is going to come watch it. And so they all get in their little small town heads that they're going to end up on Broadway. Oh no. (laughs) And then uh, a mighty wind is probably the most sincere of those three. It's uh, about a folk music producer dies 
and they're putting on a tribute concert. So a bunch of old folk acts get together and come back to do this like PBS concert, basically. Oh, that's cute. Except like Christopher Guest and all of his cohorts actually are super into fucking folk music. So, so it's done it extremely lovingly. And I'm not fully sure why this made me think of this, but for whatever reason, I got into listening to uh, Fleetwood Mac mm, okay. yesterday. And I mean, I've, I've always liked Fleetwood Mac, but I, I can't say that they're ever a band I've paid a lot of attention to. And I was reading about how, you know, there's one album and I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but it's uh, like their most famous album. Rumors. Rumors. Thank you. That as I was listening to it, I was like, God, like every song of theirs that I know is on this fucking album, but that it entirely exists because, I mean, this I kind of do about Fleetwood Mac. Uh, they were trying to do the like free love hippie lifestyle and they were doing really bad at it. Mm -hmm. So they were all just hating each other because everyone was fucking the wrong person. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that entire album is taking pot shots at everyone who has to play backup singer to you. Like, and just being like, okay, that was mine. Now it's your turn. Here you go. Uh, if you want a creepy Fleetwood Mac song, listen to Tusk just on repeat. Is this at all related to Kevin Smith's terrible? Well, I mean, he <laughs> he listened to that song while writing Tusk. Oh, okay. There's a good chance that that's how it probably ended up with its actual title. Which one is Tusk? I'm sure I know it, but it's... Like the song? Yeah. It's got like a marching band. It's oh, fucking wild. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I know I've heard it. Yeah. Um, but it also gets, just on repeat especially, you're like, oh God, and it's just, either that or I just smoke too much weed, I'm well, not sure. Well, that too. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I watched all of Prehistoric Planet. Oh shit, yeah, how the, was it? It's so good. It's not as good, okay, first, in case you don't know what that is, uh, Prehistoric Planet is Apple, whatever Apple's online streaming service is, uh, hired basically some of the planet earth team and David Attenborough to do walking with dinosaurs from the early two thousands, but in the modern day or, you know, planet mm -hmm. earth, but in the past, it doesn't blow me away in the same way that like bits of planet earth do because it's, you know, with planet earth or planet earth two or blue planet does it really hard. And I'm like, that's real. Right. <laughs> like that's, that's a real Komodo dragon hitting. <laughs> um, and like, it was a lot easier to be like, that's a really cool CGI monster. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the same way that I loved walking with dinosaurs in the early 2000s, but, and I still love it, but, you know, it shows its age. Seeing the dinosaurs in a way that looks real, like the CGI is just out of this world good, puts a whole new dimension to them. Like, it, it once again, they come closer to looking like real things that I see how they could live on this planet in a way that I couldn't before. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean when I say shrink wrapping real quick? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, absolutely. So shrink wrapping is a bad habit that archaeologists have of, or paleontologists in this case, sorry, of um, taking the bone structure, not putting any fat on it, like when they're recreating what it looks like. Basically putting the, like, the minimal muscle needed to make it work. Mm -hmm. And then putting the skin right over that. And when you do that to modern animals, they look insanely different. I always love the uh, the rabbit example. The rabbit's a good one. The hippo's another really good one. The hippo just straight up looks like a dragon. Rabbits uh, are fucking terrifying when you do it. <laughs> rabbits are terrifying already, or at least hares are terrifying. Yeah, yeah, hares um, are terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but 
shrink wrapping a rabbit makes every rabbit look like a t- like a hare. The T Rex is kind of fat. A big chunky boy. He's a big chunky boy, but like he looks. I mean, one, he looks more like a bird, but like he looks like a thing that exists. Like I, I love the classic shrink wrap T Rex. Like I, you know, I grew up in the Jurassic Park generation. I can't not, but. This one looks like something that I can see how it wandered the earth. While old shrink wrapped one, I'm like, that's super fucking cool, but like, there's a, a disconnect. If I remember correctly, at least the book Jurassic Park actually acknowledges that that's not the way they're supposed to look, but because they're setting it up as a tourist destination, they're setting it up so that they're making the dinosaurs look the way the tourists expect them to. Mm, okay. The movie doesn't do... The closest they get is in the first Jurassic World, they're like, you don't think this is what dinosaurs actually looked like, do you? Like some kind of like throwaway... I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I, I had fun with that movie, but I have critiques. Um, and then, you know, like seeing things like watching a T-Rex swim. It's fucking incredible. Like I never even thought of that before. Or the fact that like the current theory is baby T-Rexes had feathers. But they oh, didn't yeah. keep them as they grew older. Right. Because there was a whole lot of debate as we finally acknowledged that dinosaurs had feathers in many cases. Which dinosaurs had feathers and... Which grew like, out of them. Yeah, like... exactly. And there was some real debate with something like the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Because they're like, at that size, in the climate that they lived in, it would have... Like, it would be like wearing a down comforter mm. in the tropics. Like... It'd be yeah. terrible, but it makes sense for little ones to have a little bit of that extra, like, warmth and protection. Also, there's an episode taking place in, like, the frozen tundra areas, hmm. and it actually is like, okay, it looks cold, but I can see how that dinosaur lived there with all its heavy feathers that almost look like fur, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, no way in shit a dinosaur could survive in this area. Uh, it's real cool. I'm trying to think of... The, the T-Rex stuck out the most, and it came up a lot, because it didn't... It didn't use what uh, most... The, the way most dinosaur documentaries are set up is like, here are the first dinosaurs in the... Uh, what was the first one? It's... Uh, um, oh, in the... Tri- oh, God, my wife will kill me for this. Uh, it's Triassic... Yes. Jurassic Cretaceous? Yes. Like, here's the Triassic period, which is fucking wild, by the way, because there had just been a major uh, evolutionary die-off, so a whole bunch of things were being like, would this work? No. No, it's our turn. <laughs> like, mm, I guess not. <laughs> you will, but not for long on the ecological scale. This is all towards the end. So the dinosaurs... That we know best, for one. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, like Triceratops and uh, T-Rex and uh, Velociraptor, but actual real Velociraptor, which honestly looks better. Right. Velociraptor's tinier. Yeah. M- little tiny bird thing with the cool, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like, it, it still has the cool claw, and that's what I care about. Jurassic Moses. Park Raptor is closer to a Utah Raptor. Yeah, and even that is not wildly close. Like, they kind of... Decided what they like as much as we give credit for Jurassic Park to being accurate to how we knew dinosaurs at the time, it was kind of more a matter of with the Velociraptor, here's what we want. Let's try and make it real. Mm-hmm. 
and the public has kind of just created the Jurassic Park Velociraptor in their minds ever since, to the pain of all paleontologists. <laughs> uh, but, but the way this, you know, because it just does one era, it just does like, here's them living in the desert. Here's them living on the coast. Here's them living in the, you know, fucking cold places. They don't call it the fucking cold places, but, but that'd be I great. do. <laughs> that'd be fucking incredible. Uh, it's really good, honestly. Like, I don't love to recommend more streaming services to people because, God, I've got four already just to keep up on this show. But you can do worse than Apple with between that and Ted Lasso. Like... And Foundation is supposed to come out on that. Or did come out on that? Did come know. out on that? I remember seeing ads for it, and I haven't heard anything since. I'll look into that. I want to say it did, but I might be wrong. And then just no one paid attention to it? That's a bummer. It's my favorite Isaac Asimov. Um, Obi-Wan. It's fine. I really liked it. I dig it so far. There's parts I... I get, but I didn't dig, like, the Leia chase in the first episode. As soon as they saw how it actually turned out while watching, like, the footage back. I understand shooting it in the first place. Go ahead, try to have that scene. It did not work on any level and was laughable and should have been cut. I heard one thing of, like, here's how they should have done it that I completely agree with. Instead of them actually chasing her, they should have just been, like... Kind of like laughing and hurting her threateningly. Kind of just like, whoa, until... Because she doesn't run into the one person. Because, I mean, that little girl who's playing Leia, actually, I think she does a pretty good job for a I, child actor. I think like, she's actually doing a great job. Um, I think they don't not, necessarily know how to write the kind of child they want her to be. As she's also, in episode two, I thought, fluctuated wildly between wild beyond her years and annoying fucking any kid. Well, I mean, that's... I love both Carrie Fisher and Leia. I've got Leia tattooed on my fucking leg. But that's kind of Leia in the first movie. Like, why is behind her ears? And also, like, Jesus Christ, tone it down. These people are breaking into an Imperial space station to save you. I don't know. It. I think she's doing great. Some of the writing around the character isn't working for me. The chase, I think they should have just nabbed her right away mm -hmm. and instead had her tie them up for time, possibly the time needed for Obi-Wan to be able to get on their trail, by her actually getting out in the ship and then using her size to, like, escape into the vents and they're having to search for oh, that her would and, work, yeah. and not dock yet and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, the problem is just... The little girl can't run fast enough to have it remotely seem believable. Like, the, the people chasing after her are like, you are the worst mercenaries of all time. Like, you just intentionally ran into that branch, didn't you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ewan's doing great. Like, Ewan's doing, of course Ewan's doing great. Uh, Grand Inquisitor was not great. I don't know if he's even still alive or not. Like, I don't know if that's supposed to be the same Grand Inquisitor from Rebels or if they just oh. happen to... It's a Grand Inquisitor. Yeah, well, and, and, and Ut Utapowin, Utapin, whatever. Because mm, mm -hmm. uh, him got stabbed. I like Reva, third sister. I think her name is Reva. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The poor Reva. woman who's been yeah. getting a bunch of shit online. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I like her. She's fine. It's not my favorite villain ever, but I see what's going on, and, like, it's cool. Like, I dig it. Yeah, and I thought it was... Fucking wild that uh, she knew who Anakin Skywalker really is, but sure. I could see Anakin 
Vader, I guess, trying to set her up is like kind of like how Maul was for uh, Palpatine, like a little like mini. Well, and now like everything that's been everything that's been put out in the past few years now has mm-hmm. been canon. So we've seen Vader fleshed out more in the comics, and definitely with the way he acts in the comics, you can see him having a pet Inquisitor to try to. A, d- a shadow disciple, yeah. so if it works out, he can use her to help overthrow his master, and then he can be the, you know, the mm-hmm. classic Sith douchebag move. Okay, go ahead and tell me what you want to tell me about episode three, because it's going to bug me, and I'm going to watch it and like... They meet. They meet? They fight. Oh, God damn it. Immediately? That took them no time? Okay. I mean, it is technically halfway through the series, since it's only six episodes. Yeah, but, um... There's one thing. Okay, there's Last one thing time about we it that saw you. I was but the student. Now I am the master. There's one thing that didn't have me completely hate it, but I don't want to talk too much about it before you see it. Just go ahead and tell me. It's... The thing I. It's not a very even battle. Fucking, it's a Darth Vader curb stomping Obi Wan battle. Yeah, from what we've seen, Obi-Wan's not doing his best these days. And just the way that plays out and kind of how extra Vader is about it, it works for me. I'm not I'm still not happy that they did it. That's what I was going to say. I'm not saying that I'm not going to find it super fucking cool in the same way that I thought like Yoda's Yoda versus Dooku fight was pretty goddamn cool. Mm -hmm. It's the best part of episode two, and it's probably the thing I hate the most. Well, the wild 2002 CGI is the thing I hate the most, but that's neither here nor there. Just because I think something is cool doesn't mean that I think you should do it. I read comic books. There's plenty of things I was like, that was fucking awesome, but now the story makes no sense. Yeah, the way I'm kind of feeling about it is it's like the least offensive version of it for me. I feel like there needs to be some kind of other moment of it because I mean literally Vader I, I, I said a moment ago like last time I saw you I was but a student now I am the master like so that means the last time he saw Obi-Wan Obi-Wan still needs to do okay yeah and he just got fucking beat down uh-huh. although I like I said it's pretty dope oh yeah no <laughs> Vader's fucking awesome mm-hmm. just uh, yeah it, it works but fuck Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing that you and I didn't want, and pretty much everyone else who watched the show did. There's an upside. Yeah? The episode confirms um, fucking homeboy that I like. Stripe across his face. Oh, Quinlan Voss. Is alive and doing shit. And alive. Man, that's old school expanded universe canon. That he survived and never was tracked down. And no one and ever knew what happened to him after Clone Wars. The current idea is it might be Ice Cube's son that's playing him, since we know he's playing a big character that hasn't shown up in an episode yet. Oh, that'd be great. I love Quinn. Quinlan Voss is my favorite expanded universe Jedi, probably. At least of that mm-hmm. era. In the modern stuff and the Disney stuff, it's Kanan Jarrus uh, from Rebels. Look, if Quinlan Voss would have been the one to pick up Grogu rather than Luke, fucking Grogu would still be learning the Force right now. (laughs) Yeah, because he'd be like, you should absolutely be wearing this Mandalorian armor. What are you talking about? That's 
fucking sweet. (laughs) I wish I had some. This would cover my hand, though. (laughs) So. Oh, that's going to be cool. Oh, God. That's what I got. I mean, I also really love Tales of the Jedi stuff, but that's either. We'll do a Jedi episode someday. Um, Oh, did you see they announced a Tales of the Jedi? Did I see that? No, I don't think I did. It's a Tales of the Jedi show, but it is not. It, it's just using the same name, but not the same stuff as the old Dark Horse comic. Oh, okay. It's not Eula Drama and X Harkoon. It is. It's just banking know, on the name for the. How the Ahsoka old heads. got picked up yeah. as a Padawan. Some short story about Mace Windu being Mace Windu. It's a generic name that technically already has history with the product. So. That made me excited when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't really want them to do like old school canon, old republic, because I like those stories as they are. Mm. But I'm still waiting for the acolyte. I'm really wanting to watch some high republic in live action. After the trailer, I'm Andor. I don't know if I've seen that trailer. Oh well, after we talk about the other trailers, we might have to pause and go okay, watch yeah. that trailer. So we got other trailers that we watched. Okay. Okay, <laughs> that's that's a good little segue. Into let's that. jump into that. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Um, Pokemon we have the least to say about, so let's go Pokemon, uh, what is it, Violet and Scarlet? But yeah. yeah. Is that it? Scarlet and Violet? I yeah. think so. Um, Violet looks like a penis. <laughs> I don't know what the name of that Pokemon is, but you know what I'm what I'm saying. He looks less like a penis when you're not just seeing the outline. When you're no. seeing the whole thing, he looks like a cool jet plane dragon. Well, but when you see the whole thing, he, arguably he just looks like a, a super sci-fi dildo. A, yeah, he is a long curvy thing with balls. Um, <laughs> the the legendaries look pretty cool. I am for one of the few times in life tempted by a fire starter. I almost never start with fire types. I'll still probably go with the weed cat because one, it's a weed stoner cat mm-hmm. and two, starters tend to make the best grass types in the game and I love having a good grass type on my party. I mean, I don't know if I'll actually play this. I hardly ever play the mainline Pokemon titles anymore, well, but I'm excited. Switch, so it's impossible. Um, but I'm excited to see what gets ends up in Pokemon Go. Yep, that'll be fun. The Pokestops now look more like gas stations, like the outside mm-hmm. of the gas stations. You just you know pull up, give them Pokemon instead of having to go inside, do the load screen, yada, yada, yada. Because for years they've been struggling with the fact that no one actually wants to go inside the Poke Center if they can help it. They, like, go in, heal as fast as possible and walk out. You're not exploring any of those little buildings, so it was just taking up time and space. That said, as much as the, like, oh, we're on the beach looks, like, really nice to be the, like, Nurse Joy in that gas station area. Mm-hmm. Also, just drive by healthcare sounds fucking incredible to me. There is a point, and I pointed this out to you, that they're in the middle of a snowstorm and you're like running off being like, thanks for healing. And you're just leaving joy in her short sleeves. Just chilling. Just literally just taking that pun far too seriously. Mm-hmm. Just chilling. I liked the pig Lechonk. You liked I like the, um, I like Lechonk too. I like pig Pokemon. I've just learned this about myself. I like all, I like all pig Pokemon except for, uh, Funk. Only, only because of one reason. Or what's, is Spoink the, the little one. one or the bouncy one? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It would fucking stress me out to no end to own a Spoink. Because they have to keep bouncing. Because they they're po- die. Or else they die. <laughs> yeah, like, oh god. Because their bounce is like their circulatory system. It's like I how their heart keeps I wake up in the pumping. middle of the night being like, oh my god, my Spoink, stop moving. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
it would be the most stressful Pokemon for me to actually have. And I count that above, like, ones that could kill me by touching me wrong. Yeah, Charmander that can burn down the house if something goes wrong. (laughs) Like, Like, I just have to be friends with them. I can be friends with him, and he could just stop bouncing. And I hate that idea. Nope, I'm I'm getting anxious just thinking about this. So there's one thing. I need to see more of these Pokemon designs. Mm -hmm. But there's one thing that's kind of starting to come through on a couple of them that I'm not sure how much I like. They feel a need to have a new version of Pikachu in every game now? No. Oh, something deeper. And like, (laughs) oh, I'm sorry. This... So the new region and is supposed to be inspired by, like, Spain? I think so, yeah. And some of the designs, especially with where they're starting and where they could end up if evolved, is taking some cues from more uh, Mesoamerican art themes. Which is not uh, Spain. Which is not Spain, and the reason those regions are thought of, of as being Hispanic is due to colonization. Yeah, now that you point that out, yeah. In fact, because that what kind of Scarlet is what tipped me off. Scarlet, I was like, ooh, that's some of those lines, some of those angles. Like I've been looking at a lot of Mesoamerican art lately. I've been kind of really digging it. In fact, I'm going to show off one of my new shirts to you when we're no, not re- recording at some point. But I wonder if this is the kind of like what I've always thought of as the Jinx effect, where because it's different cultures. They didn't necessarily realize that making the blackface Pokemon was, like, right. it, hella it's, problematic. It's like just typing Hispanic into Google and seeing what all comes up. Because those countries are considered Hispanic because of being former Spanish colonies. Mm-hmm. But I just mean, like, a cultural thing not necessarily mm. recognizing that it's problematic versus, right. like, if I did something like that as I am part of the cultures that have to deal that have to confront the colonialism a lot more directly. I also don't want to just be like, oh, no, they don't know better, because I don't, honestly, I'm a white boy from Montana. I just... And honestly, I'm not even <laughs> saying it's to the point of being problematic yet. It's just like, you as I'm starting it. to see more of these designs, I'm like, ooh, that's that's edging on some stuff that I've been looking at lately. And that could also that could be really cool, and it could also, it's kind of fucked up. But I also kind of want to see it, if that if that's also kind of fucked up, but... South American Pokemon, like a Pokemon in like a place based off Mexico City or just yeah. Mexico, could be really fucking cool. I, yeah, Quetzalcoatl as a fucking Pokemon, like I would, I want it all day long. You, you, you basically don't even have to like change that much to make Quetzalcoatl work. Yeah, like I already am like super all about Therian form Landorus just because of how closely it kind of ties to Tezcatlipoca. So, Thor. it's just weird. Yeah. Anyway, Thor. Uh, once again, the more I see about this movie, the more I keep getting excited. I still did not start out at the same base excitement level as I did for Ragnarok, but uh, holy fuck, some of this looks so cool. I don't have the same level of excitement that I had for Ragnarok, but I have much more like base confidence than I did for Ragnarok. Because I was like, Ragnarok looks like it could be really good, but it also is the Thor series, so it could be extremely forgettable, and then it made my favorite Marvel movie. This one, I'm like, this is going to be real good. Like, I'm not worried about that. But can it beat Ragnarok? I I don't don't actually need it to beat Ragnarok, so I shouldn't think of it that way, but... I can't wait to see how Zeus gets killed, because I still say he's getting killed. Uh Uh-huh. I do think it's interesting that 
uh, one complaint I've seen online is that Gore the God Butcher looks too human. He does a look stuff. a lot like Christian Bale in makeup. Yes, no, he he absolutely <laughs> looks like Christian Bale in makeup. But I do think it's interesting and might be a overreaction on Marvel's part after they got fucking Christopher Eccleston to play Malkiathia Cursed and then slathered so much fucking makeup on him that you could not tell it was him. It could have been anybody. It could have been literally anyone. And it would have been just as good, and that's nothing on Christopher Eccleston, who's a fantastic actor. I mean, he had way less makeup on, and still even, like, Lee Pace was almost not Lee Pace. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? As Ronan. Well, he mostly just talks like this. <laughs> and I actually thought Ronan looked really fucking cool. But I thought he looked was, cool too, uh, but... They didn't give him a whole lot to do. <laughs> yeah, he does look a lot just like Christian Bale in makeup, but we'll see. I really dig how those gore scenes are going, though, especially contrasted against the rest of everything, which is not the same level of Ragnarok colorful, but its own kind of bright, colorful, colorful color. Yeah. And then those gore scenes just, like, blanch out and fucking... As he's taking away the wonder of the world from the gods. I do wish the Necro Sword looked more fancy, special. Like, the Necro Sword in the comics almost looks like it's made out of goddamn shadows. Right. Um, and I get why that's really hard to translate into live action, but this one just looks like a sword. A nice sword, but a sword. If they were going to just make it kind of look like a fantasy sword, mm -hmm. rather than made of shadows, because that's fucking hard to do. Yeah, no, then... <laughs> I kind of wish they would have made it look... Because it's so close already. It would have just took a little bit of lengthening and, like, different coloration on some of the parts. Um, more like Vampire Hunter D's sword. It's a long sword. I don't disagree, but that's a long sword. God, that's a cool sword, too. I like seeing Natalie Portman in it. I'm excited to see them together, and I am excited to see them with some potential romance stuff going down. I like Thor and Jane together in the comics in live action in whatever, I just like the idea of them having a much more even power balance than they, mm -hmm. you know, they had previously. Yeah. She was love struck, um, Natalie Portman and that's fine, but I've seen love struck Natalie Portman fall in love with a himbo for reasons I don't understand. <laughs> We've seen the prequel trilogy, uh, having her, well, and in the prequel trilogy, she at least had like a, you know, lasers. Right. Um, seeing Natalie Portman as a superhero, I'm down. I'm into it. And her Thor costume looks pretty good. Uh, and from the little snatches of action that we get in the trailer, it seems like in the comics, she's better at using Mjolnir's magic side. That tracks. That makes sense. Thor's a himbo. Thor like Thor likes it because it's a super fancy hammer. It's so a he big uses... hammer that comes back to me when I get it, Thor. And I'm not judging. Um... So he uses it like a hammer. She's like, no, this thing is super fucking powerful. I'm going to try to talk to it and actually commune with it and do what it can, like, do what I can. I'm going to open portals and shit. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this while watching it. I really like both of the Thor designs. The, I mean... I think we both agree the one with the fur is fucking killer. It looks great. It's classic. 
Thor is one of those ones that you don't want to go too far into, like, straight up looks like he would fit into Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. But, especially because I, I don't know why I always think Thor should uh, be sleeveless. I just think it works for him. Which is funny, because he comes from a very cold place. But, like, you can go pretty medieval fantasy with Thor and have it work in a way that it doesn't with any other superhero. Mm-hmm. I did really like the very colorful design that you said you're not as... Yeah, I'm not sold on it. I, I might have to see it more, but the bits that we've seen of it, I'm, eh, it's I fine. I need to see the mask, how it sits while he's like moving around in it and stuff. I get why they don't do the various helmets for Thor. As much as it annoys me, the tendency to take the mask off of every superhero in superhero movies. I th- I wonder if maybe we're going to see him helmeted in battle more, because I already noticed as, like, as Jane was landing from what appeared to be her finishing a fight in the mm-hmm. trailer, she had a helmet on that just dematerialized as she landed. Yeah, that'd be cool. And I wonder if they're going to go more that route, where it's just popping on and off as needed. I think she's going to wear the helmet a lot. And I like helmets, so that's cool. I, I Admittedly, part of the reason I love that design is it's really heavily inspired by the last Walt Simonson design. Uh, if there are, like, a top two Thor runs of all time, it is Walt Simonson's Thor and Jason Aaron's Thor. And there's some person listening being like, Tom DeFalco! And no, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. There's some great stuff in the Tom DeFalco run, but... No, maybe Dan Jurgens, but really it's like those two are kind of generally considered the top two runs. If you listen to Word Balloons, you'll learn that I at one point did way more Thor research than I thought I was going to and read a good little chunk of quite a few runs. And we haven't even gotten to Thor yet. <laughs> and yeah, no, sorry. Oh, no, I, I'm thinking I, of New Byland. I Too many podcasts. Yeah, um... Fucking Aaron and Simonson. Up the, they're, they're the top two. There's Sorry. other great ones. There really are. I have a lot of Thor, but those are the best. Those, yeah. Well, and Simonson's style is just a lost art. He's of the Kirby school of, this doesn't look anything realistic, but no one gives a fuck because it looks cool. There wasn't too much Valkyrie in this trailer, but I'm excited to see more Tessa Thompson. Yes, and her costume looks better than the... Because it looks closer to what she wore through most of Thor Ragnarok than when she puts on the, like, uniform of the Valkyrie and it's suddenly bland as all fucking get out. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. I actually, just to reference another one of the podcasts that spin off, uh, Fried Sperms this week, I watched Natalie Portman with Tessa Thompson in a movie. So it's going to be awesome Is seeing them together Annihilation? again. Annihilation, yeah. Yeah, we are. That is definitely not a spinoff. We are a spinoff of that. <laughs> yeah. Because this exists because of Swamp Thing episode. <laughs> Don't care about Zeus yet, other than the fact that I agree with you, he's going to die. It's more, is Hercules going to appear? Literally the only part. I mean, I'm not a huge Greek pantheon guy anyways, so. But it'll be funny. Oh, it'll be great. No matter what they do with him. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about this movie at all, other than it being like, not being fine. here yet for yeah, me to watch. That too. Yeah. I think it comes out on my birthday, so I might actually go Ooh. see a movie in theater for the first time in a long time. Ooh. Also, that's like a Wednesday, so. Um, Sandman trailer. Sandman trailer. This is the one. Oh, I'm going to watch this like five more times tonight, by the way. Yeah, it, we're going to watch it at least once more on your big fancy fucking TV before I leave. Yeah, it. 
I'm a, you, you have lay on your leg. I have fucking Morpheus on my leg. Uh, this looks incredible. It looks really good. And as we've discussed, I'm not a, I haven't read as much Sandman as you would expect from me living in a literal comic book library. But Cece's a big fan that's read all the way through it. And it looks fantastic. Also, what's her fucking name? I know her as Clara from Doctor Who. Clara from Doctor Who. Jenna Coleman. Yes. As um, gender flip Constantine. Johanna Constantine. They're still using the name Johanna. Yeah. But it's not the Johanna. But I think they're... There's been rumors that I think there's might be some fucking time travel shenanigans. It might be the Johanna, mm-hmm. but she's also taking John Constantine's at least spots. at least in the trailer that conversation with Matt Hetty is directly a fucking Constantine. I can already feel some people screaming about it, but I really liked it. Like because we're not this isn't the '80s anymore, so we're not getting dirty, disheveled. 80s former punk rocker Constantine, but we're still getting Constantine the Bastard from what... I mean, like, I'm extrapolating a lot from that by the fact that she's wearing a pretty, like, clean white coat, but Mm -hmm. still... I think there might be some time travel shenanigans. I think it might be Johanna. I mean, other than just it being Johanna, because they're using that name. She's the part I'm most excited about. So far, although him in that mask looks killer. I want to hear Matthew speak. I'm, I'm curious to hear how that's going to sound, especially just knowing that that's Matthew Cable. Yeah, I'm curious if they're going to bother at all. I assume not. Touching on that? To touch on the fact that Matthew the Raven from Sandman is Swamp Thing's shitty alcoholic buddy who dies in a car crash and... Swamp Thing steals his widow. Yes. <laughs> Immediately. Like, I mean, that that marriage was over, but like, it takes them about five seconds for her to be like, you know what I'd rather be doing? Fucking a plant. Which. And I know where to find one. He does have the good sexy time drugs. So. Oh, yeah. Great. Weird fucking issue. Of- <laughs> <laughs> I did. This is like the smallest just nitpick in the world. I kind of wish Mad Hetty looked a little bit more fucked up and disheveled, but just because I'm used to her comic art, but it's not a big gripe. Like, it's like, oh my God, that's fucking Mad Hetty. Um, Mad Hetty being... The, the old lady. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, She's actually uh, functionally immortal. Oh, cool. But she's been alive a long time. That's why she actually knows what she's talking about and is being able to, like, reference the, him uh, being whatever a romancer. Yeah. Of, I'm much more excited for it than I already was, and I was already pretty excited for this one. The dreaming looks freaking sweet. Some of those, some of the images were are just straight up adaptations of different panels. The I, Thor did that too, really well. Both of these look good, and I know Gaiman is involved on some level in this show, mm-hmm. so enough that he can like hold their fucking feet to the fire, which is. Gaiman's thing to do in these kinds of shows. Yeah, I just, um, the thing I'm most excited, I want to see Hob Gadling. That's some of my favorite stories and my favorite storylines, and I'm curious how they end up doing him. But um, he's, um, oh God, what century did that start in? I want to say he was from like the 1400s, 
and was introduced in an issue called Men of Good Fortune, where he's getting drunk with his mates in a bar, and he's telling them that he's figured it out. The only reason people die is because they think they have to, and so he's just going to live forever. And Dream and Death are in the same bar and overhear him. <laughs> and so he... So Dream makes a wager with Death, and they play a game with him. And him, he is supposed to meet Hob in that bar every hundred years to see if he still wants to keep living. Okay. Interesting. And so then the rest of the the issue goes through as, as they keep meeting up through the ages, up through the 1980s. And then he recurs in the comic a few times uh, past that. That's very Sandman. Uh, do we pause to go watch Andor? Yeah, let's do that. We'll be right back. All right, so we said Andor. We did three trailers. <laughs> Man, we haven't had shit for trailers in months, and now, like, seven in a <laughs> two-week period. Let's go reverse order. Okay, so... Because bad... I have the least to say about Bad Batch because I need to get caught up on everything. I don't have than... a lot on Bad Batch either, so yeah, Bad Batch season two. Feeling real confident about it. It looks badass. Bad Batch Season 1 was already really good, and this really looks like it's following the classic rule of sci-fi of Season 2. They figured their shit out. Um, I mean, because a lot of Season 1 was a whole lot of prep of, like, what is this world now? This Mm -hmm. is immediately after the end of the... I mean, this is... It starts, like, 20 minutes after Executive... It starts during Executive Order 66. This is a little farther out, not, you know, maybe a year. I don't have any idea on that front, but, like, enough that the new world is starting to coalesce. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do now? Like, what are we going to become as opposed to just, like, what the fuck is happening? Which is the first season. Gotcha. Yeah, no, it looks looks like a good mixture of, like, fun adventure and badass. Mm -hmm. Well, and the other advantage season two has is you don't have, like... You don't have to introduce the characters as heavily. You can do a lot more of character growth as opposed to like, this is who Crosshair is, a douchebag. This is <laughs> who, you know, Omega. They could say Omega. It's, okay. it's Omega, but they a lot of the, because of accents are like, right. I'm Omega, and you're like that. Okay. Uh, Willow. <laughs> Yo, so I went. I've watched when the trailer dropped. I saw it on my phone like 20 minutes after it came out. Expecting to just be like, you know what? I'm happy for Warwick Davis. I know that he's been wanting to do this for a while. And then I saw the trailer. I'm fucking psyched. It looks so good. (laughs) Like, I'm so excited that they're doing this. I'm going to have to rewatch Willow just to get it all nice and fresh again. I'm super curious. I'm tonight. (laughs) I'm super curious how, because I know that they found a way to work Val in for a very small part as Mad Mardigan. And there's not... Well, because Val doesn't really act anymore. Well, because he's got the throat cancer issue and I believe is currently talking through a voice box. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of a fucking weirdo at the best of times. Yeah. I like Val Kilmer, but um, he's a strange duck from everything I've ever heard about him. Yes. Um, it's still like huge part of my childhood. It's super sad that he's dealing with that shit. Oh, but. yeah. Batman Forever has got me... Batman Forever is directly responsible for this show. But I'm curious to see what they do with that. But I don't I don't care what they... Like, it looks fucking great. I'm going to watch it. I'm so excited. I bet it will have nothing to do with those wild-ass sequel books they wrote where Willow mm. ends up, like, becoming, like, a demigod or something. I don't know. It 
it took some choices. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it took some choices. I think it's going to tap into a fantasy vein that I feel has been missing for years now. Which is fantasy that has a sense of whimsy, but is not just whimsy. Mm. Like a lot of um, fantasy likes to go the Game of Thrones or the Vikings route. And yes, I know Vikings is supposed to be... No, it's fucking fantasy. There's no... No historical reality to the TV show Vikings. It's a cool show, though. Yeah. And I I get why that, you know, I'm a fucking Conan the Barbarian fan. Low fantasy is cool to me. And then the other side, we have other shit that I really love, too, like Galavant, that is, like, fantasy, but in the... Or uh, uh, fucking season two of Whatchamacup, Miracle Workers. Like, mm-hmm. it's fantasy, but in the broadest, like... It's a texture setting to it as opposed to, like, let's explore this world. Right. And there's a space in between where there's magic and goofy shit and they can have a sense of fun and adventure with it, but also cool sword fights and violent action and, like, take itself seriously at points. And that fine line that you thread creates some of the best fantasy of all time. But it's hard to thread that needle and no one's really tried in years. I feel like Peter Jackson kind of tried on The Hobbit, but it didn't super work. Yeah. There's a lot about The Hobbit. That There's a work. lot that... Did. I remember reading a thing. There's a lot of Hobbit that shouldn't even be there. Yeah. I remember reading a thing talking about how, like, anytime you see the behind-the-scenes special features, the running joke of the cast is just like, oh, it's horrible. Oh, I hate it here. And like every show does that, like recording being like, how's the show? That shouldn't be the joke that literally every person makes every time the camera gets on them. That's not a sign of a happy. But that's a show that came out years ago. Andor. Man. This is what I'm most excited for. Like now that I've seen this, like, holy shit. I even beyond the next season of Mando. I am more excited to see Andor. I am. Hmm. I haven't really placed what I'm looking forward to most next. Definitely feeling this one, though. Jesus Christ. It looks intense. It looks like they're taking it real seriously. Which is what they need to do, because that's what made Rogue One work. Mm -hmm. Like, there were bits that made me laugh, but that was not a funny movie. I think from what they've said is that this is going to be the Star Wars Disney Plus series to date that's going to have the most episodes in a season. I think they're looking at at least 12. Good. And it also sounds like it's going to span the longest time span. Yeah, because it's going to be much more about the birth of the Rebellion as opposed to like... Kind of through the character of Cassian Andor. As as opposed to like, here's Obi-Wan on a specific adventure. Yeah. Which is fine. I love both versions. Um, I'll be curious to see how they do. I don't want them to run the prequel problem. I mean, the prequel has various problems, and I've already made fun of a few of them this episode. But one of them was that it was a historical lesson of world building as opposed to a story in its own right in a lot of ways. We still need character depth and development. But because it's a TV show, they have more time to 
fit both in. Mm -hmm. So I think it could be done. Once again, it sounds like if I had to guess from like that many episodes that we're probably going to get like three or four episodes set in like one time period, then it's probably going to jump like three or four years. years. And then a couple years. Yeah. And it'll be like, there'll be like two overarchings of the birth of the rebellion and Cassian growing as a person to where we would eventually see him willing to give up everything. Mm hmm. With some mini arcs for each of the... That would be a really cool way of doing it. I'm super down for that idea. Uh, it's interesting that I'm excited to see clone armor. Mm. Like, all of the stuff that I was like, man, I didn't... Like, the prequels really weren't my thing. Mm -hmm. The world building was cool, but, like... And then the moment I see world building from that in anything else, hell yes! Uh, same with seeing the, they're like L-A-A-T's. They're the, the landers that the clone troopers use. Right. Seeing that pull up in modern stuff. I was like, fuck, that's cool. Yeah, I don't, everything about it looks good. It looked like political thriller. Like, we're going to see, like, senators defect, essentially. and They do a really good job of that balance between, here's... Coruscant, a technological marvel of a world that looks terrible to live on, but a technological marvel of a world. And then here's a one where people live in fucking huts. Mando did it real well, too. Yeah. But he didn't go to the big tech worlds for the most part. He, he hangs right. out on the outskirts. This one is showing us Star Wars at every level where foundation, like the foundation inspiration for Star Wars is going to show a little bit in ways that it we don't get usually. I'm I'm fucking all about it. I can't wait to see more, especially mm -hmm. the show itself. Oh yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break. Yeah. And now that we've covered four thousand trailers, let's take a quick break and come here for what we came for. So we're gonna do something I don't think we've ever had to do on this show before. I'm going to give a fucking trigger warning for <laughs> what we're doing here. We will be discussing some heavy shit in this hardcore crime, but not hardcore, but like. We're not going to be able to avoid, we're not going to go heavy into some of this stuff, but we're not going to be able to avoid bringing up some stuff because of how often and how big of a part of this story Murder it and is. molestation are both going to come up in this. This is a great comic that I will recommend to anyone, but, and it doesn't go super detailed into it, but you know, child predators come up several times in this story. So we, and continue to, yes. Once, even once you move past the Hunter Rose stuff, so almost more. Mm -hmm. So, um, just be warned. Just if you know, if that's something that's not going to work for you, we get it. We'll see you next week where we watch the horny cooking anime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like complete shift, but for now, Matt Wagner's Grendel. So, I, th I think we need to approach this approach two things first mm -hmm. and explain, and then. We can get into the story okay. and some other things. First, who is Hunter Rose? Do we want to start there? Or I was going to do a quick history of the, oh, the comic, comic itself. Yeah, and then that. we'll talk about Hunter Rose. Do that. Okay. So Grendel, much like Grimjack, came out of the 80s era of um, kind of comic explosion of independent comics. Before Image, where everything was completely creator-owned, but... When companies were arriving and starting to challenge Marvel and DC for the first time, they didn't have the same money and backing. I mean, neither did Marvel on the scale of what it has now with fucking Disney. But uh, but because of the direct market, 
you know, comic book shops starting to open, you could start to tell more mature, angrier, always angrier, not stories, than you could do with, say, Spider-Man. Grimjack came out of first. Grendel came out of a company called Comico, which is a terrible name, but here we are. <laughs> Grendel is the story of a supervillain. He actually, there was a short, like, three-issue series that started. It was supposed to go longer, canceled almost immediately. Then Matt Wagner doing another series called Mage, which we will cover one day because it's also friggin' sweet. And also just because it'll make me finally read it because it's been on my reading list. For I've only read the first one, and there, it's a three-part series that just finished, like, two years ago. In the, in the uh, backup strips used to be really common of, like, all right, here's this, like, 20 pages, and then we have, like, five pages of a backup strip. He put Grendel in the backup strip, recreating what was supposed to happen in the original comic, but in a completely different format. Mm -hmm. And then, because that was really popular, it launched a series that ran for like 40 issues. And then he eventually moved to Dark Horse and he's done mini series since then. But what we'll be covering, Hunter Rose, is dead by the time the comic series starts. Yes. Grendel issue one takes place in the aftermath of the life of Hunter Rose. Hunt, uh, we never actually hear Hunter Rose talk directly in the original story. It is, as I said, these it's like five-page backup strips. The whole thing is the first, like, maybe quarter of the Grendel Omnibus, volume one, and it is told from the perspective of the sort of granddaughter of Hunter Rose. Yeah. The daughter of his ward. There we go. Telling the story of her mother and of Hunter Rose as a result in a very, like, clinical crime novel, like, true crime novel way. Mm -hmm. Who Hunter Rose is, is in some ways the greatest supervillain in history, in my opinion, but also just a complete piece of shit. <laughs> I should say... Since we're, we were just talking about the history of the comic, more so as Wagner wrote him. Mm -hmm. if, if you read all of the stories concerning Hunter Rose in the order they are written, he is portrayed much more shittily towards the end than at the beginning. Because part of the inspiration of the series was, I want to make a noble-seeming villain and a hero who is vile and repugnant. And we will definitely be talking about Argent Wolf, who I think is super interesting. But the more we like, the more he grew up is really what it is. The more Matt Wagner became an adult, he went, God, Hunter's kind of a piece of shit, mm -hmm. isn't he? And he is. He still has that like high urbane flair that a lot of pulp novels characters had. Grendel is one of the greatest pulp tales of all time. And Matt Wagner is the greatest pulp writer ever. His Green Hornet, his Shadow. He's right, some of the only Shadow I actually like. The Shadow's a dickhead. Yes. I don't find <laughs> the, the Shadow, shadow himself. <laughs> as much as I enjoy some Shadow stories, I don't find the Shadow himself compelling. I enjoyed Matt Wagner's Shadow. Well, usually I'm like, shut the fuck up, Lamont. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, I've tried to introduce Grendel to a number of people, and that's why I'm asking first, well, we should probably define Hunter first, because that's easier than defining Grendel itself. Actually, before we even do that, I keep putting this off and I apologize. What's your relationship with Grendel? 
Um, we both touched on the fact that we like Grendel over the years, but not. So I, let me see. I can't remember what I bought. The other thing I bought that day was, but I remember I bought, I bought some trade at Hastings once. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, I was like, Oh, Oh shit. It's on sale. I'm saving some money. Well, I, I got a little bit of money left over. Do I, do I have enough to get anything else? And I started just looking through their shit, and I ran into uh, Grendel, Red, White, and Black. Oh, okay. Which is an interesting book. Still some, still some of my favorite Grendel storytelling. Honestly, even as I went back through this omnibus, I those tales really stick out to me. We'll be talking about how much they affected the comic genre going forward, too, in a few minutes. Uh, but... I was like, oh, this looks interesting, because this guy looks kind of like a cross between Tuxedo Mask and Spider-Man. <laughs> There's a definite... I think when I was a kid, I thought he was a Spider-Man villain, or like mm. somehow connected to Spider-Man, because he's got the kind of Spider-Man-shaped eyes with their own the little, stuff. Yeah. yeah, they've got the lines through them. And I was just like, I'll, I'll check this out. Like, it's it's the right price. It. It brings my total up to what I was going to pay anyway. So it doesn't hurt. Yeah, no, I have bought many good and many bad comics with that reasoning before. Reddit fell in love, and it happened to be probably about half a year before the Omnibus edition started dropping. Mm. So as soon as I read it, I was able to go online, and when I typed in Grendel, it's like, by the way, these are coming soon. And so legit got every Omnibus as it dropped and just devoured it through that way and we're like click um for me i think batman grendel was my first okay most of these i had i don't know how i knew grendel existed probably because i had some dark horse books i read so i'd seen some like ads and stuff i had some awareness of here's a character he's a villain uh he's one of the rd comic books he's not it's but you well know, he is but but, okay, when I think of Artie, I think of stuff like Asterios Polyp or, like, really, like, kind of out there stuff. But, you know, 10-year-old me that was reading Nightwing by Chuck Dixon and Howard Mackey's Spider-Man, this seemed like the, like, high culture stuff because it was the more mature things. Mm -hmm. um, probably I was seeing ads for Black, White, and Red in retrospect or Red, White, and Black because there's both of them. And then I picked up uh, what we will be discussing, Behold the Devil, Okay. On a whim, because I was like, oh, I know, I, I, I've read Batman Grendel. It didn't make a whole lot of sense because I have no idea who these, this character is, but, like, I should give this a shot, and the art is good. Behold the Devil is the 25th anniversary miniseries they put out, and it is, and we'll discuss it towards the end, it is hands down my favorite piece of Grendel. Mm. I think it just, that was also my favorite era of Matt Wagner, because his art leapt forward, like, just to a new level of dynamic while still having some of his old school, like excitement still. Okay. So now let's try and tackle Hunter Rose. Hunter Rose in a lot of ways fills a lot of the Batman tropes. Yeah. He is good at everything, but without the, I mean, but also I think he's a psychopath. Like he doesn't seem to have any real understanding of human emotion. 
But unlike, you know, Batman's got that partially through his death of his parents, that that drive for justice and the betterment of mankind. Hunter doesn't have any of that. Hunter has a very Doctor Doom-esque, I just want someone to be my equal, but I also won't accept anyone who's my equal. I just want someone, I just want a fucking challenge. While also wanting to be special. Yes. Which comes in uh, very heavily in... uh, Fuck that one that you were just behold, behold the, devil. the devil. Yeah. No, there's very much a thing that I've realized about some of my favorite villains. Because like my top three super villains are probably Thanos, Doctor Doom, and Grendel. And all of them are these really great, incredible, amazing people who ruin themselves by being complete and total little shitheads. <laughs> but he's this kid. I we don't ever really learn anything about his parents, his parent that I can think of. His parents aren't important. No, the story. What we learned was that his name was Edward. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's from somewhere in the Midwest. He's gifted, as I said, at literally every, like this is an important thing. Not just I'm repeating myself, but to understand this is a kid that whatever he did, he became the best at without trying. And it's kind of implied like physically that he's like he is confirmed at some point to technically be a mutant. He's in good shape. Um, it's almost like he's Captain America without taking the super serum, but not necessarily to that no. level. He's still kind of small. He's a skinny yeah. dude. He picks up fencing because there's at least the joy of the challenge. Wanking motions. Um, fencing's really cool, but there's a brand of fencer who you just want to like put their face in the dirt when they talk. And I feel like Hunter Rose is that brand of fencer. He ends up going to the world championships as like a 15 year old and 14, 14, which is important because it's creepy. But uh, in a second, and then he throws the fucking match, the world championship match, because he realizes instantly that he's better than the other guy. guy the other guy can't keep up and he doesn't care. It's not. And it's not. It. Now it's not a challenge. God, fuck all the way off, kid. It does help, and this is something that, while I was reading it this time, because I haven't read these uh, the original Grendel stories in probably five years at least, mm-hmm. the older I get from Grendel, the more I think he's a little shithead. <laughs> because Grendel's only, like, in the main stories, I think he ends at, like, 22. I was actually trying to do the math uh, with all the... I'm not going to lie. The other thing I really love about Grendel is that it's stupid continuity porn, Mm -hmm. especially the Hunter Rose saga, because some of these stories you get bits and pieces of from like five different angles. But it happens in this era. But yeah, so I what I figured out was he. He publishes his first novel at like 19, 18, 18. He's dead by 22 at the latest. Yeah, it's somewhere about 22 and a half. Very, very possibly he might have just turned 23. Okay. But as he is like in the gym, having just thrown the match and everyone being like, oh, he's not that great after all. Like, you know, not wanting to admit that this kid is fucking incredible. A woman shows up being like, you are amazing. Holy shit. Uh, By the name of Jocasta Rose. She is probably the most important person in Hunter Rose's life, and she is a fucking sexual predator. 
Uh, Joe Costa at 36 and knowing that she has terminal cancer and not telling him initiates a relationship with young Hunter. A very sexual relationship. We see them in bed for sure. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those comics. It's not porn, but there will be moments where you're like, that's a tit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry. That's, I just remember being like, you know, mo- as someone who grew up mostly reading DC and Marvel, reading stuff like that and being like, ooh. Uh, she gets into a very sexual relationship. She is the one person that Hunter considers his equal, probably his superior, in a way that he doesn't hate. Mm-hmm. Partially because she manipulated him. As, you know, she's a 35-year-old woman dating someone that was born when she could legally drink. Yeah. she would have been. He would have been born when she was, like, 21. And getting into a relationship. So he's both, she's both, like, mommy and lover and the first person to recognize his greatness. And, oh, I hate it. Not that it makes uh, not that it makes a difference, but just because I was I'm pretty sure he's at least fifteen or sixteen because his morning of her lasts nine months. He's seventeen by the time it ends and he takes his first life. Their relationship was for a year. Okay. Either way, I mean it's Yeah. Hella I'm sorry, creepy. it's just because I was really paying attention because when I realized how short he it was is, actually yeah. Grendel, I actually started just like really trying to hone in on it because like, of the scale of where the comic goes, your brain feels like you should be Grendel for like ten years. It's but it's six hundred fucking pages of comic, <laughs> like, and then three other volumes that take place over the course of a thousand years. Yeah, all based off the fallout of fucking Grendel, of uh, uh, fucking Hunter Rose. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, she as you mentioned, she dies within a year. She knew she was dying when she met him and decided to have this fling with this young. Prodigy, I guess. Uh, it's creepy. It was less creepy in the 80s, but it was still hella creepy. And At the end of it, he, he renames himself. Hunter Rose, because he's a hunter. He's a... God, fucking... Fuck off. Um, and Rose after her, because that's her last name. And she... kind of fills his life for the rest of it in really interesting and bizarre ways. Well, he almost never talks about her. I don't think he ever talks about her out loud and we don't see the journals about her, but we know that she comes up. He reappears in America, suddenly like high society publishing his first novel at 19 as this young and dangerous author challenging the perceptions of yada, 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 yada. It is kind of weird because we see him in high society, but the high society, and this will be mentioned in the shadow crossover that he does, the high society almost feels more like the Gilded Age. Right. But I think it's just because I'm used to seeing tuxedos in Gilded Age shit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a, uh, the the excessively wealthy of New York never really changed style that significantly for like 100 years from that, you know, tuxedos and long cigarettes and let's drive by my penthouse and we'll, you know, either do crime or have sex or do cocaine. Like Mm -hmm. one of the three options. His, um, not the lawyer, the, the other guy, his, I can't remember the guy's, his right hand man. Yes. Seems very eighties. 
in the midst of everybody else seeming Gilded Age. Although there's a little bit of Jeeves and Wooster if Jeeves did crimes to him too, because <laughs> he's he enters into the society, and I think part of him expected the society to be more, you know, because you grow up poor and look at all these great rich people. Obviously, they're great, they're rich, and then you meet them and you're like, these people are fucking pathetic. Right. At around the same time, the Grendel first appears, a new, they never call him a supervillain. Well, he starts as an assassin mm-hmm. for uh, the mob bosses and then takes over himself. He is the only masked villain we see, though. This is not Gotham City where there's Joker, Two-Face, yada, 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 emerging along the lines of uh, the Falcone crime family. This is like if one supervillain just popped up and took over the entire ecosystem immediately. Right, because we see a couple other assassins, and they might have a thing, like the one guy wore red gloves, mm-hmm. but they last it's, about not, 10 minutes. it's not, I'm wearing a full-on fucking face mask. And and sometimes a tuxedo with it, which is kind of my favorite look. The best but, fucking um, look. <laughs> the best Hunter look. I I have a favorite Grendel that's not Hunter. I know. I Me too. Yeah. Uh, even if my favorite Grendel story is, is Hunter. Hunter. This is the thing. All of this story is so good. Even the stuff that makes me viscerally uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That it's hard to, like... There's not bad stuff. Even if stuff I'm like, bad stuff happened in that. Um, but anyways, Hunter meets... Do we want to talk about Stacy now, or should we talk about Argent? Um, Stacy. Okay. Because that's that's the start of him and Argent becoming even more intertwined. Yes. Hunter meets a young girl. She's six, I think. Somewhere between six and, like, 12. Mm Mm-hmm. Little girl who is the niece of a crime boss that I think he's working for at the beginning. Yeah, Barry Palumbo. Uh Uh-huh. She's Stacy Palumbo. Her parents died. Her uncle, the crime boss, took over. I don't remember if he killed her parents or... I don't remember. There's a whole lot of that. There's a... I know that there's a story that's very heavily him talking about it, but Mm -hmm. I can't remember the details. Well, and he does kill her uncle. Yes. He's, I believe, working for the uncle originally and then turns on him because he starts just taking over the mob. For whatever reason, though, he has taken a liking to this child. It is heavily implied. No, it's actually directly stated later. It's just implied originally. It's because something about her reminds him of Jocasta Rose. And he later starts to wonder if she's the reincarnation of Jocasta Rose. That's another one. We will get to that in a minute. I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit there. There ends up being this, like, what will happen to this young girl? Her parents died tragically, and then her father died, or her uncle Uncle. died tragically. And this young, hotshot author who's in the same social circles decides he's going to adopt her. And at first, the government's like, I don't know, man, because it's, again, he's 19 Mm -hmm. at this point. I, I know he's probably still, maybe still 18. He's not yet 20. We can say mm-hmm. that for sure. And he's putting into an adopt a like nine year old kid. I'm just going to go with nine. Um, nine, 19 or 20 for, because I think my little chickadee was his third book. Yes. And he ends up 
releasing a book called My Little Chickadee. And one of the things I like is they'll put reviews of the books as they come out, like, because you, you just get little clips. You get, like, newspaper clips. Also, the thing we haven't mentioned, every page of this looks like a fucking uh, uh, stained glass window. Right, I was kind of talking about the his overall story in general, because mm-hmm. you do get the overall story probably five times in the course of these stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, in Devil by the Deed, it is all done with every page kind of being an art an art deco stained glass. It does stuff that no other comic does that I have ever seen. Well, it's like you have to take every page almost as a whole and then also its individual parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things I like is they show the, uh, this might've been in one of the red, white and blacks actually not in the thing, but they'll show like the new book comes out and we'll have notes from, uh, mm-hmm. reviewers. And at first everyone's like, this is amazing. And then in the later books, there's always like one person being like, he's incredible. Still another person being like, this dude is coming unhinged and I am scared of him, but this book is good. <laughs> like, uh, but anyways, he writes this book, my little chickadee. It can, the, the U S falls in love with it. The world falls in love with it. And, uh, public swell comes to the point of, yes, this man should adopt this little girl that he loves so much. He's going to be such a good, I guess, uncle for her. And we get a very weird relationship of Stacy does love Hunter. In one point, it almost, it, it straight, she straight up says while telling a story that she's going to marry him one day. You know, in the way that a nine-year-old is yeah. like, yeah, he's my white knight. And so I don't quite understand the relationships there yet. This brings to my Un- first uncomfortable question of this is Hunter in love, not in love with her. Cause he can't really, I don't think he's capable of that, but like, do you think it's sexual for Hunter at all? I don't think it is in, here's the thing. I don't think it is yet in any of the text that we have about Hunter. I think if, if Wagner writes another 10 Hunter stories, it will be. <laughs> I think if it had gotten to an age where she's an adult and what qualifies as an adult might be a little unknown because he started banging an adult at like 15. I think it could have led. That I think direction. it absolutely could have led there. I think it probably absolutely would have led there. Mm-hmm. Although once it, Hunter, it's hard to tell how much he would have been actually into it and or more just doing it for the form of it too. I mean, even with adopting her, he ranges between like being very fond of her and being like, Jesus Christ, you're like all the others, like just fuck off Carol, which is unfair because she's just a super traumatized little kid. Yes. Fair Uh, warning. No one has a happy ending in this story. um, I think it is a fair question to have though. Like I said, that's one of the things where, Wagner likes Hunter less every time he writes him. Mm-hmm. So in the early Hunter stories, you even have um, Christine commenting on the fact that she thinks that Hunter's love for Stacy was maybe the only pure and noble thing in his life. But then you have that directly contrasted by some of his inner thoughts about him kind of only seeing her as a replacement Jocasta in the stories that he wrote 25 years later. 
I think it is as close to pure and noble as Hunter is capable of being. He honestly wanted to look after this little girl. It is a recurring thing for him that he fucking hates pedophiles. Yes, he really does. I, I thank you for bringing that up because that actually is really important to this question. He a couple of the stories are just out of the way. Him going like Hunter finds out about a pedophile and goes and murders him. It was the eighties. We were, I mean, we're always scared of pedophiles, but like the satanic panic was going on. I think Hunter starts crossing his wires is the problem when it comes to Stacy mm. because he sees this little girl. He does care about her in some level as much as he is able. And he wants her to, you know, not end up in a fucking orphanage. Fair enough. But because in his mind, Joe Costa is the only person on his level. Horseshit. <laughs> we'll get into it when we eventually do the crossovers. He doesn't like Batman because Batman can play on his level and he doesn't like dealing with that. Um, Look, it's halfway played for a draw, but effectively Batman beats the shit out of him. The shadow one he loses to. He doesn't know how to deal with losing. Mm -hmm. But because in his I'm the greatest human alive with the possible exception of Joe Costa, having a second person he cares about... Means he she must be Jocasta in some way. So he kind of like starts fusing the two of them together. So anytime he's not, Stacy is not what he thinks is perfect, Jocasta, this woman of class and sophistication. Like there's a story in one of the Red, White, and Blacks, which by the way is just um, Matt Wagner writing stories and various artists illustrating them using only Red, White, and Black for the color scheme which is pretty much exclusively how he does Hunter Rose stories anymore. Yeah. Of in the red, white, and black. I think actually uh, Grendel Shadow had full color, but it's not common. But anytime she doesn't live up to that, he's like, oh, fuck this fucking kid. This, I think, brings us to Argent. Right, because Stacy is like the most adorable child in the world, and there's someone else who has is just enamored with this kid. Yes. I don't want to say has feelings for, because that has a it definite connotation. <laughs> yeah. It sounds bad. And Argent is not in any way like that. Like no. there's, there's new, there's the question about Grendel that we've just discussed. Argent is, there's no not. question. No. Argent in some ways is a problematic trope. Argent, yeah. But he is an interesting character, and I think he comes... I don't think he was intended to be in a problematic trope, but he is... Um, people talking about Native... White people writing about Native American characters in the 80s. Argent Wolf is a man cursed to become a basically a werewolf. I'm going to call him werewolf. They don't ever really say it for sure, but like, no, they, I mean, they'll call him the wolf mm -hmm. and like the wolf man and stuff. I think he's referred to as werewolf a couple times, but a couple people actually point out that like he's a perma wolf. So that's not quite accurate. <laughs> he exists eternally as some level of wolf man. He has been alive for centuries and they very clearly don't, talk much about Argent. We only ever get a couple of lines from him. He's not very eloquent at the best of times, and he uh, murders a lot. Yeah, like I said, part of the original idea was like a more noble villain and kind of a repugnant hero. The reason we don't know much about Argent is because he doesn't 
like people and he keeps to himself and he doesn't tell people about himself. Well, and all of the stories are retrospective and he doesn't like to talk much before and then he got fucked up in his final fight with Grendel, which and we'll so discuss, but they I don't feel bad saying that because they talk about it from the very beginning of like that famous final battle. We know it's coming and no one comes out well from it. No, no. There's Grendel stories kind of in general are almost infamous for, you know, especially Hunter Rose stories. Like, you, you know, know how, how this is going to end, but let's see what happens in the buildup. It's the same with like, behold the devil, you know, the newspaper, the, the journalist is going to die because you know that Hunter Rose wasn't unveiled until he died. Yes. Yes. I kind of wonder if that guy was an inspiration for uh, how they played Ben Urich in uh, the Daredevil. That's a good question. I don't know if it is, but he very much is played. We'll get to that. Argent is, I believe they say he's Algonquin? Yes. Well, so in the original story, I thought it was interesting because it's kind of implied that he might not even be native and that he's just claiming it and that it's another thing to kind of hold against him. I didn't catch that, but okay. They're like, he says he's native? That's fair. They make it clear that we don't really know much about him at all. It is confirmed later, but... The, he is a Native American man, cursed. It is heavily implied, and there is a Argent miniseries that... Called Silverback. Um, everyone wants to read, but the original art has deteriorated so much, I think it was water damaged or something, that it's... Comic book art didn't used to be saved nearly as well as it is today. That it's impossible to put out in a collected edition like they just don't have a nice enough copy to do it mm-hmm. which sucks so hard but, and I think they confirmed this but it's heavily implied in this that the reason he was cursed to be a wolf man was because he was in a homosexual relationship right but it also just sounds like he was also always a piece of shit mm-hmm. that he was kind of just an unpleasant dude but interestingly I mean you don't deserve to be cursed for being homosexual, but Argent was already kind of a piece of <laughs> Thank shit. Thank you for so confirming like, that to our... Um, <laughs> I mean, he was also just always kind of a piece of shit, though, and it sounds like he might have brought that on himself anyway. Yes, which I hope that's the case, because, I mean, okay, let's be honest, I have no idea what the Algonquin view of uh, homosexuality was, so I can't comment, but I bet it's problematic to assume that a Native American tribe would have just been automatically anti-gay so i we talked about this uh because of a movie on fried squirms a little bit Mm -hmm. i'm i'm not super like i don't there's thousands of tribes first off hundreds in the united states there's a bunch of different lore i'm by no means and the algonquins are much farther east so they're and so i'm super not not caught up with their shit but from my knowledge, from the bit that I have looked into it, because it has been a little bit of an interest of mine ever since I was a kid, because my grandpa actually had some books with uh, different native legends and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I can only think of, like, two tribes that have stories involving humans turning into animals. That generally doesn't happen. Spirits might turn into animals. Mm-hmm. Animals might do their own things, whatever. Humans turning into animals is rare, is rare, and in both instances is very, very, very bad. Yeah. Like almost unspeakably bad. Yep. And there's places where you don't go talk about those things to this day. Yeah. Um, so Argent 
does protect the people of the land, but he mostly does it by tearing mobsters to shreds. Hunter likes him. And is very indiscriminate. If somebody's in the way. They probably will die. Hunter likes Argent because he provides some level of challenge. If Hunter is off of his game, Argent will literally tear him to pieces without a moment's hesitation. But because Hunter is the egotistical dickhead that he is, he also likes that he can beat Argent every time if he's on top of his game. Although it's definitely implied that neither side really totally wants to win, we know Hunter likes having Argent to keep him on his toes. It's kind of implied that Argent also likes having like Grendel a constant as prey this to challenge. Chase. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's there's one story that implies that it's Grendel behind both. I, do, I like the entity Grendel. Oh, Grendel. okay. I'll be honest, I did not get through all the red, white, and black ones because of me being like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> um, I can't remember but, which one it is, but there is a, a story that implies that Grendel is... Oh, it's the first time he meets up with the magic guy. Oh, yeah, okay. That story implies that he's behind both of them. That guy's a Voodon uh, Santeria. Santeria, okay, that makes more sense. Also a little risky for a white guy to right do, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Argent does have some level of relationship with the police. There's kind of a Batman thing to it there, but it's in a lot of ways a lot closer to the Punisher. I was about to say that. He is a very, um, I mean, it's the 80s. This is where the murderous vigilante was becoming much more in vogue. Now, the reason this matters is because for whatever reason, Argent and Stacy meet each other, and she becomes the only human that Argent legitimately seems to care about on a personal scale. I want to say that she might have known Argent first. That's possible. Yeah. But for whatever reason, Argent will just come hang out with her and have tea parties and stuff because it's adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk real quick about the the guy, the... His number, his oh, his man. Yeah, the only yeah. person who knows he's Grendel. Um, I'll look up his name while you. God, why? I mean, I just read six hundred fucking pages, and he was mentioned like every third page. I don't know why I can't think of it right now, but um, yeah. So at the event where Barry Palumbo was killed, Grendel screwed up. It was the only time he used poison, and. Stacy was the one to find the body. He didn't want her being the center of a media circus, and so he kidnaps her away in the middle of the party and disappears for a couple hours because he also gets in a fight with Argent, and she gets kidnapped during that, and he has to go kill a pedophile. Larry Stoller there is we his go. name. I kept wanting, I wanted to say Larry Storch. And I God, that it's that not even the right. first quarter. It's, the fir- it's like 30 pages long. The basic yeah. hunter, it's it's nothing. And for some reason, he gets through all that, gets her back to the party, and nobody noticed, except for the one guy who notices everything. Mostly because these are all, like, rich, entitled dickheads that aren't paying attention to... I'm using dickheads a lot today, but <laughs> all of them are. Yeah. Even Stacy a little bit later on. We'll get to that. Who also... Is... I feel for her with these, don't get me wrong, but... Feel for her... Uh, and heard the last part of her plan in the Jill Thompson uh, 
story is implied to also have been influenced by Grendel. Yeah, nothing good happens to her. Uh, anyways, this guy realizes that Hunter Rose is Grendel, and instead of like freaking out about it, covers for Grendel, and then tells Grendel that he covered for him, and just sort of moves in to be the right-hand man, to be the bookie. Or not even the bookie, but like... He does all of the shit that Grendel needs He's the consigliere. Yeah, exactly. And it's described as like, Hunter didn't ask him to. This guy didn't ask to do it. He just kind of moved in and started doing it. And Larry just started and Hunter lets him. Not relies on him, although he does. Yeah. Not like appreciates or likes him. He just starts helping out Hunter because Hunter is interesting. And because... And it pretty much ensures that he always has the most knowledge, which mm -hmm. is what he was going for anyway. Which is what he's always been interested in. And Hunter lets Larry do it because that's because he's so much better, obviously, that he doesn't need to, like, have to deal with this shit. Um, I didn't realize quite how much disdain I have for Hunter Rose well, until I, I talk about him. Here's the I, thing. You should. Oh, no. He's, he's a super villain. He's the worst. But he's also so fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that, but also it's so cool. Like, he's the worst, but he also busts through a window on a fucking crime meetup and kills 21 guys without getting a drop of blood on him. Also, we haven't even talked about his super cool fucking weapon, which is a pole... <laughs> With two sword blades on it, like, right next to each other in a way of, like, a Rob Liefeld sword design that electrocutes people. So fucking cool. <laughs> None of that should work or be cool. It should be a big, dumb electric fork thingy, and instead, it's a super cool giant electric fork thingy. Yeah, I don't know why that works as well as it does. It, do it shouldn't. None of Grendel. Also... Let's look at real quick how much Grendel influenced the image 90s guys just from design work. Some of the eye stuff in ways, the uh, the way he wears his mask, there are the like the way he ties it off mm -hmm. flows behind him in the wind. Rob Liefeld used that constantly. Uh, the double sword thing that Rob Liefeld gave to Shatterstar, another character who should not work at all and doesn't when Rob Liefeld works him, but when other people <laughs> do, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I try not to throw too much shade, but eh. um, straight out of Grendel, like, I, I can't confirm this, but I would bet money that Grendel heavily influenced Rob Liefeld when he was a, a teenager. So I guess I, it's surprising to me that I'm only now getting to this question because I've been kind of wondering it the entire time. All these things we talk about with Grendel... Mm -hmm. Including down to the fact that it's one of the things it's famous for is most of the Hunter run being in red, black, and white. Mm -hmm. Why the fuck do you like it? <laughs> I mean, I guess we've been answering this oh, the entire time, but dude, like, why do it I like fits it? for me. Like, all of this fits for all of the shit that I'm normally into. This guy's a piece of shit. It's not colorful. You're right. None of it is the stuff that I usually go for, and I don't know why. Part of it is just Matt Wagner's art or writing and art both have always worked for me. I mean, mm -hmm. you and I have talked about Trinity, his Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman team-up that is one of my all-time favorite DC team-ups. There is something about his art. His art almost looks like it was carved, but not like... It's beautiful. I'm going to say that right out. But it's not like, you know, sculpted. 
Mm -hmm. This almost, the way that he does line work sometimes looks like someone just stuck a knife in a, like, board and pulled it down. It is rough. It is raw. And usually when someone describes art as raw, it's like, go fuck yourself. But, like, Mm -hmm. there's something about it that works. The, as much as I love color, I love doing work stuff in just grayscale with red because you still get that color. Mm-hmm. It's just one color that is so beautifully used. Um, also, having done several pinups, Grendel pinups in various ways, not of Hunter Rose, but of just various, although I do want to do one just for the fun of it. Yeah. Um, you get to do the white stripe and the hair. And... <laughs> no, just mostly naked except for the mask. Uh, but I th- You have to do both versions so that you get the white stripe. It's so much faster to color this way. Just grayscale <laughs> and not having to worry about blend because there's the like hard line. It is so simple yet so detailed. And the character, again, like Doctor Doom, there is a nobility to him at first until you start to like unravel the layers and then you're like god your core is so rotten that your nobility is justificate i will say i've pointed out a couple times he's gotten less noble as he was written Mm -hmm. the omnibus does not collect it in that manner no the omnibus collects it in chronological order of the the series of the stories not of as they came out which is a really fascinating way to read it and i i actually prefer that because it it creates a more complex hunter rather than one that just seems to get worse as time goes on. Mm-hmm. You get to see the back and forth of like, well, and you get a much more cohesive story in it that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, the stories, like I said, it's fucking crazy continuity porn. Cause some of the, some of the details you get in five different comics all and they're talking about too. the yeah. same incidents, the fucking, the, the ambush 50 miles outside town where two cops end up getting killed, where there was the second truck of cocaine gets brought up. And I think like four different stories, mm-hmm. like, but yeah, part of it's the art style. Part of it's the design. As I said, it all looks so cool. It's not colorful, but it's remarkably colorful because there's that when they use red, they don't use a subdued red. They use fucking punch you in the face red. Mm-hmm. So when it wants to pop, it pops in a way that no other comic I have ever seen does. I like the kind of sleeker, skinny... I think it comes from growing up on Spider-Man. The sleeker, skinnier, more agile characters are characters that I always really enjoy. The big double-bladed thing is really fucking cool. We're not going to go into that. Uh, And I like pulp. Like, as much as I am... Give me big boastful colors and Flash Gordon and all of that and Superman. I mean, Green Hornet's one of my favorite characters and Mm -hmm. he is not bright and colorful despite green being in his name. I think similar to how I was talking about 40K last time, there's ways to kind of pigeon your hole yourself into, these are the things that I like, but it's more than like, I you know, there are parts of 40K that I like, even though I'm, very definitively not the 40k guy like it's just it becomes part of your persona over Mm -hmm. time i'm not the guy that gets into dark shit kind of came as a self-defense measure as all of my friends were getting more and more into the grim and gritty horse shit and the more people were like oh the punisher i was like fuck the punisher (laughs) there's punisher stories i dig um 
But this, I mean, part of the reason why I like this story is because it does stuff that all of, not all, 40K doesn't. Well, 40K, Grendel Prime could fit in, which will come up much, not in this episode, but much, much later in the Grendel story. You could drop in the 40K universe and he would be pretty okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, Grendel does a lot of the shit that Punisher comics wish they could do. Yes. And I think that's part of the reason why it works. And I think the fact that I know that he doesn't get a happy ending, that it's not just he's going to go on and kill and kill forever, helps. Kind of. Hunter. Hunter won't. (laughs) Uh, It's in the same way that I'm into true crime, in the, like, serial killer stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's super fascinating. We just have to be careful about how we glorify these characters. And Grendel sits right on the line. It's kind of like when people talk about fucking um, uh, Carl Pansram. It's like when people talk mm. about Carl Pansram because he's a horrible human being, but there's something about his story that's just so fucking cool. Grendel is that same way for me. Oh, yeah. I was just, I, I needed no, it's, to, it's, to ask to actually like. And the moment you asked, I went, that is a really good question. <laughs> it, but it's you know, the same way I like Two-Face. Like, there's something so dark and not... There's not anything really tragic about Hunter. The only thing tragic mm-hmm. about Hunter is his own fucking ego. So maybe Doctor Doom is a better example. See, because, like... And I guess I'll just segue into talking about myself for a second. Please do. But, like, this has all the stuff that I normally like. Mm-hmm. But, like, on paper... So does the the fucking Marvel Max Hellstrom. Which was very bad. Yeah. We've not talked about that on this show. But that was a show that was not show. Uh, that was a uh, comic that was just so happy to talk about a cock. Yeah. Yeah. A God's cock was like the plot line of that. Yeah. On paper, that comic also has everything I like. I'm good having read it once. I'm glad I read it once. Like, I had fun reading it, but the whole time being like, this is not good. Grendel, on the other hand, like, yeah, it pulled me in by being all the things I like. I stay and, like, want a devil eyes tattoo. I do, too. I really do. Because it is actually, like, arty farty. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing. As someone who is a big fan of the medium, as someone who legitimately thinks... The comic media is the greatest artistic expression in history. I can't think of a story that has taken the concept of a supervillain and done it as well as this. The only thing that comes close is the overarching Thanos story that Jim Starlin was telling over time. And even that one doesn't quite fit because they still have to cram it into the Marvel Universe the whole time. Because, you know, there isn't a... Uh, Argent Wolf story, or there is, but you know, it's mm-hmm. like because he wanted to tell it and fits into this cohesive thing, he can do whatever he wants with this story in fascinating ways. Also, the fact that we start with this simple, not simple, but simple noir story, and it's going to fucking evolve into space empires in a way that makes sense. Yeah, it's already farty. Like there, like we said, Hunter's only Grendel for so long. Mm-hmm. This story only takes place over like four and a half years. There's six hundred pages. 
the way you get there is because of all the ways that the stories are construed. Um, I'm not saying anything new. Wagner has referred to Grendel as the spirit of aggression before. Yeah, you mentioned it, the Grendel spirit, but we haven't really discussed that. Grendel, Hunter Rose takes the identity of Grendel, mm-hmm. not even realizing that there is kind of something more. And the when the series launches, we start getting other people picking up the Grendel identity. Like the the main series, the the uh, his run that lasted like forty issues, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a lot of big name artists got their start on Grendel. Uh, Tim Sale, who did Long Halloween, mm-hmm. this I don't know if it was his first work, but it was some of his pretty like, early. It was pretty early, and it was some of the places that put him on the map. Mm. He also did all the art on Heroes. If you're someone who hasn't read Long Halloween. Like the the paintings that were predicting the future or whatever. Right, right. Um, God, I haven't watched that show in a long time. But it starts to imply that it's not just someone, you know, taking on the Grendel identity because it inspires fear, but that there's an actual entity of the the spirit of aggression and malice and... Well, no. See, what I was getting at, that entity is just revealed to be a demon. Uh, Behold the Devil calls it a dire imp. Um, it it's kind of implied in later stories that it powers up kind of by the Grendel name getting known more and more. It does sort of take over the world. I meant Grendel as he exists in the universe being the spirit of aggression and the stories being a contemplation on the outcome of aggression. You were talking much more metaphorically than I was. Like I said, I like it because it's already farty. You get so much of, you get so much of the story that you see not just what happens, but you get to see the ripples out and how it affects people. And it's, it's some of the best condemnation of Hunter is in seeing how his existence ripples into these people's lives and ruins them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's no guarantee that Stacy was going to have a good life, but she did not. Even when he was like, I will help her. She did not deserve basically everything he put her through. And in in a lot of ways, like I said, because Argent is very briefly implied to also be that what what we'll get to here in just a second, what you were bringing up, the Grendel, powered in some way by the Grendel entity itself. Um, their, Their cross need for each other and need for dominance and aggression creates that cross ripple in their wakes of aggression that end up wrecking both of them mostly through their relationship with Stacy. But like I said, it's the nature of aggression and how it affects the relationships with others and, Mm -hmm. and just how shitty it is for everybody when shit like this exists. Also, we haven't really mentioned it other than werewolves. Magic exists in this world. Yeah. And it's, does a really good job of how magic is used. Yeah, sparingly, and almost like it doesn't exist. Except for when it's needed for a story. I'll be honest, we're about to go into the, like, monster section in New Byland of, like, vampires and werewolves mm-hmm. and stuff. I will probably be comparing those stories to this one in some level of, like, how it interacts with the superhero and vampire. Which, what we've seen from It's Morbin Time, doesn't always go well. Oh, fuck, I forgot to bring that up. How glorious is it that it bombed twice? Oh, my God. 
They're like, we'll put Morbius back out. I'm like, why did you think that was a good idea? It made like $85,000. I saw... 850 I don't know. But I it, saw it, a breakdown of somebody said that it was $82 per screen. Jesus Christ. That's like five people. Yeah. Over the course of a weekend in probably at least two showings a day. Stop hiring Jared Leto for things. Um, anyways, back to this. Uh, we're not going to go too far into the history of like post Hunter Rose Grendel stuff here. But before we dive into the end stuff in the battle, I do want to very briefly talk about it because my favorite part of this is from the uh, Behold the Devil where Hunter Rose is given a vision of oh, the future, the future and a bit of the past. And it's the first place we've ever seen an implication that he's not the first Grendel, mm -hmm. that it didn't spawn from him. He is, uh, but we see. Well, we know that it didn't spawn from him because of stories like uh, Lil Devil, mm -hmm. because the demon already existed and came and found the the boy who was empty inside. And yeah, but like th this is the the first one to put a whole lot of time into mm -hmm. it. Uh, and even then, that's not a lot. So out of universe, like four or five people had become the Grendel and died. I think it was actually like two or three, but like, it, you know, a couple of people had. And I believe it was his editor asked Matt Wagner, can the Grendel spirit possess more than one person? And he's like, holy shit, that's interesting. Like, what would happen if they took over a crowd? And because this is Grendel, where everything gets dialed up to 11... A lot of things we're reviewing this year is <laughs> what if we dialed it up to 11. Uh, he turned this from like the, the Grendel starts to become a cult symbol. And then literally someone takes over the world doing the Grendel and we end up with the Grendel cons. We're not going to go farther into this other than Hunter Rose sees this future. And what's interesting to me is on some level, part of me wants to go think like he would be into this. But he hates it. The, because, like, look what happens in my name. But Grendel, because he, as much as he wants people who are as great as him, and Asante, the guy from that we'll get it to eventually, who does take over the world, is so much better than Hunter Rose. Although um, we're still going to have to give trigger warnings. Oh, God. No, they all suck. They, every We will give trigger warnings on every single Grendel episode we do. And we're going to do five of them, including this one. Um, and probably more because there's more Grendel coming out. Yeah. But um, he can't handle the idea that he's not the Grendel, that the the whole world doesn't tremble at his grasp or like it, they tremble at the grasp of Grendel, but not necessarily of Hunter. Hunter almost becomes forgotten. Mm -hmm. Hell, his skull gets fucked up. He sees that. Uh, he doesn't know how to deal with this. He's he's the Grendel. He'll never be killed. He'll never die like i i think he legitimately can't handle the concept of him dying it's almost like charles manson towards the end of his life where he's like how dare you talk about what will happen to my body i'm never going to die and you're like you're 80 and you can't stand up on your own anymore i almost wonder because like i said there's a part of me that you you would think that he'd be kind of into it Mm -hmm. And I wonder if there was like a cutoff point where if you only would have shown him up to this point, he would have been okay with it. Like if he would have shown him everything up to up to, but not including like Grendel prime. 
Yeah, Asante would he have been okay Prime. with it? Prime is interesting because Prime actually is becoming more likable as time is going mm-hmm. on, while Hunter is going the opposite direction. If he would have seen everything up to Orion, like See, I don't know because like because like Epi's a piece of shit. Nothing good happens with those people, though. Like, I think he would have seen those people as, like... Brian is mostly scared. Honestly, you're talking about the area of Grendel that I know the least. I have a vague idea Mm -hmm. of who you're talking about, those. Uh, The people directly related, the ones you're talking about, I think he wouldn't have liked because they would be sullying his name. I could see that, yeah. And then he doesn't like it when it comes up to, like, Asante, because Asante is doing shit that he doesn't manage. I think on some level, Hunter thinks he's going to end up ruling the world one day. He's just, you know, fucking around with the crime families right now because that's a... That's the first step. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no way in his mind that he doesn't see himself eventually ruling the United States and then ruling the world, always stepping up further because he can't fathom anyone being better than him. Mm Mm-hmm. Other than his pedophile, but like, that's actually really interesting. He hates pedophiles. Yeah. He idolizes Jocasta. Jocasta. Who was a pedophile. Absolutely. Or the technical term is something else, but you know, like. Yeah. Whatever. She was a pedophile, pedophile but five years older. Um, God, glad we gave a trigger warning on this episode. <laughs> uh,. There, I mean, there is a serial killer thing of kind of love mommy, hate mommy. Um, so it could be some level of that. Like, on some level, he recognizes that a 35-year-old woman should not be banging someone who can't buy cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he takes it out on other people because he can't bring himself to to think that there might be something wrong with her. Wrong with her, yeah. Uh, also, yeah, I haven't said it out loud yet. He's a crime lord and a supervillain just because he's a productive serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> he's a serial killer with focus. Um, and commitment. <laughs> so let's start to go into the end game here because we're already long and I could talk about this for another three hours other than the fact that my voice would go hoarse without any difficulty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Hunter becomes jealous of the fact that and he would never admit this, that Stacy is friends with Argent, that there is someone else that Stacy cares about. Because she's nice to Larry, but she doesn't really give a shit about Larry. No. I mean, she calls him Uncle Larry because that's what Hunter refers to him as to her. Uh, she doesn't give a shit about Larry any more than fucking Hunter gives a shit about Larry. Yeah. But she likes Argent. Argent. And he can't handle her liking anyone but him because, again, I don't know if you've caught this, he's a piece of shit. (laughs) So the first thing he does is he sets up a place where Argent will look like an idiot. A a lumbering oaf is the term that's used a lot, I believe, in a place where Stacy will see it. But this is actually kind of a mistake because he's hoping that Stacy will be like, oh, he's an elf. He's beneath me, whatever. But because she has latched on to Argent in a similar way that she's latched on to Hunter, she's traumatized by this because she's a trauma baby. Yes. She's around 10 and everyone has either died or is a serial killer around her. And she doesn't know it, but like she has some level of understanding 
that the Hunter is wrong. Right. Yeah. So she starts to like hold grudges against him, but it it's kind of taking over her whole against Arjun. Sorry, but it's kind of taking over her whole world of like another person has betrayed me. Well, yeah, and we start to see she starts acting out. She starts having depressive episodes. It's not what Hunter was intending. No. Because you know what she needs? A fucking therapist. Yes. So does Hunter. But. So do they all. Oh, God. (laughs) Every person in this poor story. Larry needs it the least. And it ends with him shooting himself in the head. Yeah. Didn't give that trigger warning. But at this point, we we warned you bad things were going to happen. She starts acting out. He gets mad. She also, around this point, starts to find out who Grendel is. She finds out that her Uncle Hunter is someone named Grendel, but she doesn't understand what Grendel is because she overhears him, I believe, ordering a murder? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Ordering a hit? And that's when she knows to start looking in more and finds Mm -hmm. his journals. And the TVs are starting to talk about Hunter, too, because he's not subtle. He's leaving Grendel written in blood in rooms full of 50 dead people. Because he is a badass. (laughs) He's so cool. (laughs) He fills me with rage and like awe in equal amounts. And that's, I think, why I like him, because no other character does that. (laughs) Like, I love Dr. Doom, but he's a little fascist. Mm -hmm. He's a little fascist. And I'm like, well, I'm done. Uh, Grendel is. mm, He's fascinating. Uh, so she starts figuring out, oh my God, both of these people have betrayed me. They both suck. Even though they haven't, I mean, okay. Well, they, they haven't. Argent has not betrayed her. Right. Argent's just kind of fucked up and she's the one thing that kind of connects him to humanity at this point. Mm -hmm. He's just mostly using fighting crime as an outlet to keep himself from wanton slaughter in general. Hunter loves her as much as he's able and isn't and is kind of trying to help her as much as he can. But he also, just sucks. Yes, he sucks. And I think she's realized at this point that he has killed her uncle. One yeah. of the only other people that she honestly loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at some point she reads that in the mm-hmm. journals for sure. And again, so. her uncle was a mob boss, which she also didn't know. So she's just learning all sorts of things. Every person around her has either abandoned her by dying or falling through a window in Arjun's case, um, or is a murderer, or both. Did her parents also suck? Do we learn enough about them? I don't actually know. (laughs) They are almost a non-entity. They exist. They matter less than Thomas and Martha Wayne, who mostly exist to be dead. Yeah. (laughs) So she starts pitting the two of them against each other in her own little ways because she is clever. She is interesting. I It would be amazing to see what she would have become if everyone around her hadn't let her down in one way or the other, mostly through murder. Like, I think she could have become a superhero in her own mm-hmm. right or a supervillain. Like, she could have gone either way. But the trauma baby kind of led up to... Nothing good was going to happen. Yeah, she starts feeding information that gets Argent closer and closer and eventually sets up a scenario where they come to a full-on battle. I should say real fast, because of the way I put that, having a shitload of trauma doesn't automatically make you a bad person, but 
the amount of trauma that she got combined with doing nothing to like deal with deal it. Deal with it leads to bad things happening. And um, the situation continuing to happen. And, yeah, and things and more trauma and more stuff. Uh Grendel starts to unwind because not unwind, because unwind means relax, but like kind of implode. Mm-hmm. because he can't tell how Argent is starting to like actually put a dent in his stuff. As we talked about, he likes Argent as the challenge to keep him on his toes. He wants Argent safely put in his little box. Argent's getting out of the box, and he doesn't know how. And then Stacy does the most fucked up thing. She calls Argent, screaming that Grendel has killed Hunter and kidnapped her. Argent finds a way. I don't know how Argent gets Grendel's number. Right. But, but he calls. He ends up calling. And then they seem to have some way of communicating because they've got a like. There's a kind of Batman Joker like. Or and it's not a theory I subscribe to, but a theory that some people have that those two like need each other to exist. Mm. Joker needs Batman. I don't think Batman needs Joker, but that's neither here nor there. Um Kind of a Sherlock Moriarty. Yes, that's a better one. And you know what? I'm sure that if those two had existed coinciding longer, they would have gotten together for tea more often. <laughs> um, so they have some way of communicate, mostly to taunt and threaten each other, but to keep the game going. But when uh, Argent starts calling, being like, where the fuck is Stacy? The game is over because he thinks, Argent thinks, Hunter has taken, or that Grendel, he doesn't know Grendel's Hunter, that Grendel has taken the one thing that matters to him. Mm-hmm. Hunter thinks, thinks Arjun has found out. That who he really is. So this is, for both of them, no longer a game. And they kind of both think that Stacy's life is on the line. Which it is, in its own way. And they have a famous rooftop duel. Now, I don't... Unless it's in part of the red, white, and black, or black, white, and red that I've skimmed through, I don't think we ever see the duel. Yeah, we do. We do? Okay. It's it's hard to tell exactly what's happening. It's a very stylized sequence, mm-hmm. but you see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, the duel itself is not important. Right. I mean, it is. But, like, watching the, and then he jumped, and then he stabbed, and, you know, it's the big boss battle, but what's not... But what's important is how it ends. Argent is paralyzed. Hunter is dead. And Stacy is even more traumatized than she was before because she realized what went down. Also, people now know the world, or people of the world now know that Hunter Rose is Grendel, which is amazing and terrifying because he was their media darling. It's kind of like if we discovered... This is not quite accurate because Taika Waititi isn't highfalutin, but it's kind of like if we discovered that Taika Waititi was a serial killer mob boss. Yeah. Or like George Clooney, maybe. Yeah, Clooney's probably a little bit closer. We don't really have the the kind of celebrities these days that Hunter would have been. You'd almost honestly, have to, you'd have to reach further. The back. highfalutin author, mostly we were like, you're a fucked up drunk. <laughs> like we don't, yeah. um, I don't know if that kind of Howard Hughes back in the day. Right. Uh, 
like I said, you, you'd have to go a little bit more old school to find uh, a comparable, but you know, like high class, sophisticated, intelligent Carl Sagan, <laughs> if he wrote fiction. Um, but because of Grendel keeping, of Hunter keeping detailed journals of everything, and because they find, I think Stacy admits to it, they find out that Stacy set up this final battle and people are a combination of traumatized and horrified and sympathetic to this little girl because mm-hmm. she's put in an impossible situation. But she's also responsible for multiple fucked up deaths at this. So society doesn't really know what to do with her. So they just put her in a mental asylum for things continue to go very badly for her. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think we really need to go into what happens to her no. in this we it will come up we have to at some point because it's a big part of the story it. it's no. bad yeah yeah it's sad yeah we don't the need to go there important right thing is she has a daughter who she never talks to or acknowledges who ends up trying to write a story in some ways trying to like vindicate her mother in other ways trying to make peace with her mother but she ends up realizing that her emotions to her mother is far too tightly wound into everything and that you can't tell the story of her mother without telling the story of Hunter Rose. So she writes the definitive history of Hunter Rose. I don't think it's called that, but it's... Oh, it's um, um, Devil by the Deed. Oh, it's just straight up... Yeah, it's called Devil by the Deed, much like the first story. Perfect, fair enough. Uh, I do like that the final line of the book is he is the demon of society's mediocrity. I think that's one of the parts that Wagner hates that he wrote the most. It's a good it, line. Because it was it's a good line, but I think that's the part where he's like, yeah, that was young edgelord me writing well, that. Well, yes, no, it's it's a super edgelord thing. There is a level of truth to it because he is someone who is not mediocre, which I don't actually super subscribe to that theory that like the world is mediocre. But, you know, someone who is not average comes into this world and can't handle it. And so he becomes a villain as a result is a shithead argument, but there is a point that you can like almost see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more, the older I get and the more I subscribe to radical kindness, the less I agree with it. But like, I, I can see it. Oh yeah. Anyway, Christine wrote devil by the deed, mm-hmm. uh, because she inherited the hunter journals and just wasn't sure what, to, mm-hmm. what to do with them. But that also, like, she was able to write the definitive because she he ha- she has Hunter's own words mm-hmm. about it all. So Now, we should also say, life ain't going to turn out great for Christine either. No. No. <laughs> no one gets a happy ending. Full stop. In, like, at this point, like, 100 to 150 issues of comic books, not a single person ends up happy in these. Uh... Again, as I, there is a kind of worldview that Grendel espouses, and I don't know how much Matt Wagner agrees with it, but if you're going to explore the nature of evil, it's going to come up. That I do not agree with, but I do find compelling as hell. Yeah. God, we might do six episodes, because there's the... Grendel Gr- Tales. Grendel Tales, which I have both omnibuses of. Because I picked them up after I realized I didn't have all... The only Grendel I don't have is the those first three issues, and I'm going to buy them soon. We've gone long already. Try not to have too much more to say, but I do have to point out that uh, although not one of the ones done drawn by Matt Wagner, 
uh, a Grendel story has probably my second favorite page of art in any comic. Yeah. Um, it's from Devil's Dreams. That uh, that one uh, appeared in red, white, and black, and the art was by Kelly Jones. Ooh, Kelly Jones is good. And it's the story where Grendel poisons Barry Palumbo. And the way the page is set up, you have one line of red going down through the right side of the page, and the red lines up in the top set of panels with Grendel uh, putting the poison into the glass as Barry's turned away from him. In the middle set of panels, it's lined up with a long shot with uh, the glass still on the table and Barry starting to reach over from it. And then the bottom is a close-up on Barry reaching for it and the red still is going over the glass that has the poison. Here, I took a picture. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know that one. For some reason, I always thought that was someone else, but that artist, but also very good. That is one of my favorites, too, of the just of the short stories. Um, but that's just one of my the one of my favorite pages, just because of the way it uses the art to help tell the story and emphasize what's going on. As much as I love all the colors, one of the nice things about I've get four colors because there's gray, you know, mm-hmm. in the but like black, white, gray, red is I have to be incredibly clever because I only, I I have so limited my space to work with. That and Devil by the Deed itself is maybe one of the most beautiful all-around books I've ever witnessed. It looks like shit that J.H. William III would be doing later on in like Batman Elegy, or Batwoman Elegy, sorry, and uh, Sandman Overture, Mm -hmm. like Sandman prequel series and stuff. That art style of... It's doing things with panel work that is almost impossible to find anywhere else. Like, panels are important, but a lot of times, and it's something Grendel will do later, they'll be like, you know, the Watchmen style of, like, there are 12 panels on every page. Right. They fit this, 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 and this. They don't ever change. It is, it's a very static, interesting way of doing it. Or you can make each page a full-page painting where it's got five panels, but it looks like one One big piece. work. And then you have literal, just a text block in the center of it. And not every comic can do that, and not every comic should do it. But when you do it, it is remarkable in ways that no other comic can do. I think we should stop there, because we are already deep into this, and we could both keep going. Um, I agree. Uh, Recommendations. Recommendations. Mine is going to be really quick. Yeah. Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. It is a DC black label comic. It is also extremely violent and bloody, but in very different ways than this. Uh, Black Label is what DC decided to do to replace Vertigo, but it's not nearly as fun or interesting if we're being honest. It's, uh, we'll use our superhero characters, but we can use the fuck word. Oh, okay. Uh, It's the one that they made a, uh, they did a Batman uh, um, Constantine crossover in that had a big deal because you could see Batman's penis through a shadow or something like that. that. Everyone freaked out. Yes. That was their big first launch and it created a giant scandal. So they don't talk about it too heavily, but like there's some actually pretty good stuff in the black label too. And this was, it came out right around the same time as the movie. 
Um, and it uses most of the same characters. It uses Huntress, Cassandra Cain, uh, Black Canary, Renee Montoya, and Harley Quinn. And it is... It's kind of a weird little book because it is in many ways a, like, end cap to the Palamati Amanda Connor Harley Quinn series that had been going through the new 52 and through rebirth. Mm-hmm. Palamati had like a like 60 issue run on Harley Quinn all told. Like it was, he was there for a minute and this was his wrap up where it can kind of work as like a happy ending story or you can go on further with it or, you know, whatever. So there were some things that I'm like, I don't know who this character is. Like I, I get enough from it that I can like put it together through context clues, but mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't fucking know. Uh, and, but there is also some level of like, I don't think most of these characters have met that or Harley or like if they have, I don't know how much because it's, you know, using the characters from the movie. Cassie hadn't been around in the new 52 that long when this book came out. So I don't know. Right. But also it's fun and I don't care because it does a good job. And um, all of the characters have completely unique designs. Like I've never seen Cassie in that design anywhere else. Black Canary looks different than she usually does. But it's Amanda Connor getting to design these characters how she wants to do them. And I don't know if you know who Amanda Connor is off the top of your head. But Not off the top she's of my head. fantastic artist. She's had runs on... Uh, Power Girl and Harley Quinn and a bunch of other things. She did a very dirty, edgy story about a sex worker becoming a superhero that is like the boys-esque. I don't recommend that one. I do recommend the rest (laughs) of them. Uh, But yeah, it's just, if you liked Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, this is fun. So this Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. All right, I'm changing mine last second. Okay. I'm going to bring up what it was going to be, though, real quick, though, yes, just because yes. you've already mentioned it this episode. My recommendation was going to be Trinity. We've talked about it in the past, I think, a couple times. but We might like, do an episode on it someday. It's a great comic. But just to keep on the Matt Wagner train. But Also well, with that mage. Yeah. yeah. Just anything by Matt Wagner. But uh, my real recommendation is going to be something I forgot to bring up in my uh, what I've been watching. Oh, that's where half of my recommendations come from. Uh, they threw the first two seasons of Wellington Paranormal on HBO. Oh, good. Uh, I think that's the, what we do in the Shadow spinoff. Yes. So it Hell follows yeah. the the cops from the movie and their sergeant. There's a couple other, not very many uh, recurring side characters. Like you get to see the other parts of the police department, but it's usually like maybe twice a season in the background. Mm-hmm. Like maybe somebody will have a speaking part in an episode. They do a lot with a little. It's not as like uproarious, the uproariously funny. Yes, as uh, what we do in the shadows. But I enjoyed it all. It's so good. Oh my god, that, we didn't mention they announced a season two of uh, Our Flag Means Death. Finally, yes, yay! Sorry, not to take away from Wellington Paranormal, but because uh, the Nick, similar creators. Nick shows up in an episode that that was a lot of fun. Nick, the youngest vampire. Oh, okay, yes. And uh, Jermaine does do a lot of writing on it. So Jermaine stayed much closer to the what we do in the shadows than Taika did, I think. Um, But it's like it's still a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. Actually, some really decent because they don't they don't splurge elsewhere. When things do come up, there's actually some pretty decent effects on it. That's cool. Um, Yeah. 
Wellington Paranormal. That's what I got. All right. Next time, as I already mentioned, we will be watching the first season of Food Wars Shokugeki no Sama, or the horny cooking anime. It is very horny. <laughs> Uh, so like, it's one, another one of those that like, if you want to watch it, I recommend it, but if it doesn't work for you, I don't blame you. Uh, Steven should be back for that one. Hell yeah. Hell That'll yeah. be fun. But <laughs> you usually do the endings. I just That's sat right. down waiting for you to do it. Uh, what do I normally say? No, I, I, I got, this is me. This one's me. But in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Dismissed.